Welcome to the Solarize Files podcast. With us, as always, is Spencer Burke. And we have a couple of really special guests today, Spencer, that I'm excited to hear from. We have Kimberly Danielle, co-founder of Do Good X, Senior Director of Communications with FTE, co-author of A Way Out of No Way. I mean, just, just introducing her, Spencer, gets me excited because that's, I don't know, she's, she sounds like kind of a big deal. I'm not going to lie. And then... <laughs> And then we have Stephen Lewis, who's the president of FTE, co-founder, creator of Do Good X, and also co-author of A Way Out of No Way. So welcome, both of you, to the Solarize Files podcast. So great to see you. So great to be with you today. It is. This is an exciting podcast. I've been looking forward to it. You know, So uh, these are two people who... Um, it's been a couple of years I've been able to just journey with them and see the evolution of their entire kind of team and project. And just the need couldn't be greater than ever before to really be thinking in the terms and the ways in which they frame the conversation. So I am very excited to just kind of jump in and get started uh, with this. Maybe we could start off with the Do Good X. This is an accelerator incubator that uh, I had the privilege of uh, being uh, on and listening to the pitches and just an amazing, wonderful group of people who you not only have found. So there's a huge part of discovering voices that are really not heard normally. You know what I mean? Like that's the beauty, I think, of what you offer in this wonderful way. But also, it's you know this Christian innovation, that idea of going towards the edges, towards those whose voice is not normally heard. And so the nurturing and support of their projects was so fun as well. I know that it's coming up soon. So we're going to let the listeners hear about how they might participate if they want, but I want them to know about kind of the project. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about even how it started a little bit, what you're kind of looking for, and really kind of the power of why this is uh, in existence, if that's possible. It's great to be with you, Spencer. And it's always uh, great to be along my colleague and co-conspirator in uh, Kimberly Danielle. So the reason that we started this project, Do Good X, is primarily because of the fact that when we think about the next generation of leaders um, within the church, we understand that, you know, the vast majority of them are open to ministry, but they may not necessarily be interested in leading their parents' institutions. Uh, increasing within FTE's context, we have um, a majority female audience, a majority under 35, and increasingly more of them are persons of color. And so when you think about women, people of color, or ancient in ministry, and we think about the kind of traditional opportunities within Christian ministry, they're few and far between those who can be kind of head of congregations for a number of different reasons we don't need to go into at this moment. But what we do know is that increasingly they want their faith to connect to the larger concerns to the world. They are interested in issues of justice. And so part of the question that I always ask them, so what's after activism? After you've, after you've organized and mobilized people to do right or for institutions to open the hand to be more generous, how do we build the kinds of institutions that instill your values? 
how do you build the kind of institutions that live beyond your lifetime and to carry out the good work that you were organizing, mobilizing to carry forward? And that in itself can be ministry. And so Duke at X was really kind of born out of that idea, but also this acknowledgement that the larger ecosystem within entrepreneurship is not as diverse as we would like it to be. And so we realize and we value diversity as a core value. We believe that the world is better when we actually have spaces for diverse voices and ideas and uh, solutions to the entrenched problems that we face as a community, as a nation, as a globe, as a, as a whole. And so we really want to diversify the field of entrepreneurship in the larger ecosystem of who gets funded, who gets supported, who has access to business knowledge, et cetera, because we believe that the diversity of folks who are able to participate in that will improve the overall solutions, but also the overall opportunities and the well-being of the good work that people are trying to do in the world. You know, as I think about it, if Jesus was here today and called a group of people to come together to be in an incubator, can't you imagine who those people would be, you know, in comparison to who we think should be in that incubator? And I think that's what uh, you guys have just uh, done so well. And it's not just a particular demographic or whatever, but you have come alongside and helped programs that really are the things that I think are underrepresented. Uh, and the funding and the development of these projects has been really fascinating. I know uh, in, in your guys' recent book, we'll talk about it in a moment, but you are the storyteller of so many of these people. Is there something that pops out that maybe you could help us capture kind of the personification of what it is that you do as well? Yes, Spencer. And thank you, Matt, for such a lovely introduction. <laughs> and to you and Spencer both for the invitation to join the podcast. So yes, the first story that comes to mind is a story that is mentioned in our book, A Way Out of No Way. And it's the story of Kit Evans Ford, Dr. Kit Evans Ford. And she came through the first year of our program in 2017 when we launched and she was ready. She came with the mindset. She came with her faith and her values to really start and drive forward a successful business. So she came in with this idea to, to help women who are survivors of domestic violence and abuse. And alongside that idea, she not only wanted to service these women provide services to them, free services such as spiritual direction and chiropractor service and other things, but also to provide a space where she can provide them a livable wage, creating healing products. So not just a healing community, but also a way for them to create products to heal others. And so she founded Argos House of Healing and Hope, which is named after her grandmother and is also a part of her name as well. And her grandmother experienced domestic violence and abuse and was a survivor. And so she is healing her grandmother and her lineage through this work. And coming through the program, she moved this idea into a minimum viable product 
and service to launch and test following the program. We ended the program in November. She launched promptly in December. And what happened was she pitched this idea, had some initial kind of branding and whatnot for it. And she modified, got feedback, launched. And through the many years, she has launched a retail space, a community center. Uh, She has paid off the initial home that the services and products were made out of. And she has really gained the support of so many people, gone on to other accelerator programs and has been a mentor and inspiration to others. So when we look at, at how this, how our program is personified, here's someone who came in just with an idea, also with a passion to help survivors and it, with her own story as well. And that then turned into a business. Now she employs other people and she's inspiring others to do the same type of work. Well, guys, as we're talking about just this incredible work that you're engaged in, I think one question that's going to come up maybe for people who are social entrepreneurs and maybe are in spaces where they're underrepresented or they feel underrepresented, how is it that they can get engaged with what you're doing with Good Acts? How is it that they can apply for you know being a part of what it is that you are offering and, and doing? Right now, we have applications live for our Startup Accelerator program. So Duke at X, we provide a community and resources. And one of those resources and community ways to access the community is through our Startup Accelerator program, which is during the fall from August 29th through November 11th. So it's a 10-week opportunity. The applications are open through May 3rd. And if someone is an inspiring entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, in particular, and if you're not familiar with that, that means that your business focuses on making a positive impact on people, on communities, and the environment. And if you have an idea that you are working toward, you have tested it in some type of way to address a social issue, come to us, apply. You can go to dogetx.org and go to our opportunity section and you'll see the Startup Accelerator there with details about the program, essentially helping you to move from an idea to a minimum viable solution in a community of support, mentors, coaches, and peers who are connected and driven by their faith to do good. And we will link all of that in the show notes of this episode so that if there is anyone interested, just go to the show notes and you'll be able to get right there. Spencer, I mean, I can, I can guess, but tell me what is the direct link between the work at Solarize and the work at Do Good X? I mean, it seems like maybe it's an obvious question, but share a little bit how you see this connection that is here. Probably about seven to eight, nine years ago, it felt like something was afoot. You know what I mean? Like in kind of Holy Spirit speak, you know, it was like something was moving that was far beyond any individual denomination, group, thought, movement. And we started to find each other, you know, and uh, it, it was this kinship, this sense of understanding and direction. Uh, and each of us got guidance from different places. You know what I mean? Like that was the beauty of it. But we were all kind of coming up to a place where, wait a minute, it's not just about making money with entrepreneurship. And quite honestly, even social entrepreneurship might have been creating more problems in the spiritual world than they knew. <laughs> and there was an emerging discipline that kind of evolved the next step, 
which was, I think, kind of what you guys would call as Christian innovation or spiritual entrepreneurship, whatever language people would use for it. And all of a sudden, there was a new interest. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of connected to way back when we started the ooze and all of a sudden a whole bunch of different people started talking. And later on, somebody named it the emerging church. <laughs> like that wasn't our issue. And like, I think right now there's a group of us that are kind of just doing it, you know, somebody else will label it later, who cares? <laughs> but there is this connection and beauty. And when I was kind of reading through your book, A Way Out of No Way, you know, you do your credo at the end. And it was these six kind of ideas that really had heart with me, you know what I mean? And so that's where I think, you know, you can start to say, where do you cross over? Where are the unique places? But I think it always comes down to who did Jesus come to serve? Who are those who have been marginalized, left out of the conversation? And then at least for my work, again, as a white privileged male coming from an evangelical tradition, I need to realize that I have a part in that. And so spiritual entrepreneurship for me is restoring human dignity for both the oppressed and the oppressor. I need to understand my part. When you were talking about in the observational part, are you even the person who should be the voice? <laughs> and so there is this beautiful place where I think we find a gathering place for that. And so that I'd say is, is my connection. But, you know, again, that's just my story. How about for you guys, as you guys were creating this, and what I love about it is that you just didn't do it as a treatise or a thesis. You did it out of life, out of reality, out of observed real story and theological reflection. And I think that was really beautiful. So maybe you could you could help us understand. What have you seen as we've kind of emerged into this new space in the last few years and where it's brought you today? Yeah, I mean, I think part of what we are seeing is the idea that people want to live a life of faith that is not domesticated and kind of incarcerated within the bricks and mortar of what you may find in terms of uh, traditional buildings particularly the next generation, they want to know that their faith connects to the broader concerns of the community and brings life to bear on many issues that they or their friends or colleagues are experiencing within their lives and to know that their faith can actually speak to that. So I think in terms of, you know, Christian innovation, what we began to see were there are individuals that are using or would be engaged in the act of innovation. You know, those would be anybody, regardless of their kind of religious convictions or not, who are engaged in innovation. We see a lot of this in business and other industries in that regards. And then you have this whole kind of new emergence of folks who identify as Christian who are doing innovation. And the difference between that is the who. So there are people who are very much kind of articulate in their faith and they're engaged in the act of innovation, primarily, I think, because it's why it's taken hold within the church is to try to restore, retain, and maybe even pivot their churches in such a way, given the shifting landscape that we find within the field of religion. Or it's about trying to maintain their status quo as best it can and knowing that they have to pivot and innovate towards that end. But then there's this third category. And this third category is really about, 
you know, the people who are engaged in innovation that is a reflection of the gospel, the good news in which Jesus um, came to bear, which is really, you know, in service to the under-resourced, undervalued, oftentimes marginalized, exploited, or extracted for their labor in service to the larger population. And I think, you know, for us, we believe that, you know, when you engage in that type of innovation, that innovation starts with the most vulnerable and that innovations in service to at least creating a bridge, if not solutions, so that our most vulnerable can hopefully live the possibility of a life that is more abundant. And so when, when I and others in our organization are engaged with you know, the next generation, they're interested in that kind of innovation. They're interested in the type of innovation that does that, which is to serve those who are undervalued, under-resourced, and disenfranchised. And they know that it takes capital, and they know that there are rules of engagement when you're going to do that. And so, you know, you have white colleagues who want to be good allies, and you have Black and brown folks who want to be good allies in other people's communities and recognizing that oftentimes there's already innovation that's already happening. I mean, that's what we see, at least within African-American context, before there was innovation. Black and brown folks were making a way out of no way. And that in itself was innovation. I think people have real resonance towards that kind of innovation that is not just about trying to restore, you know, the buildings and the structures where we do faith, but it's about how do we take faith and really pay attention to what God is already doing in communities and in the lives of everyday people that oftentimes we take for granted. The Solarize podcast is brought to you today by our partners at the Igniting Imagination podcast. Igniting Imagination is a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. They believe every moment for change starts with conversation. They hope the conversations in these episodes might invite you into new perspectives and possibilities, inspire you with an idea, give you insight about your next faithful step, and further equip you to engage in the conversations in your context that can lead to deep change. This season, they are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information, visit their website at www.wesleyaninvestive.org forward slash igniting dash imagination dash podcast. You know, everything you said resonates so, so deeply within me. And, and I'm so excited for the work that you're doing, because what I'm sensing is there's a number of people that are disenfranchised with maybe Christianity or the church world as it's been, they have this huge pull toward, you know, social cause toward, uh, you know, social entrepreneurship. And the, one of the problems I'm seeing is often people feel as if they have to jump ship. Like it's either one or the other. I have to engage socially or I have to engage in my faith community. And what I'm starting to see, and really I started to see this most when I met after I met Spencer, but now hearing you guys as well, you're creating an avenue that says you don't actually have to jump ship in regard to your faith to be engaged socially in your community. And then going a step beyond that, because 
you know, once a nonprofit or an, or, or an organization gets so far down the road, then they can start applying for grants and there is help available. But for startups, that is so hard to find. And so the work is hard. It's almost impossible to find the startup capital. It's almost impossible to find good mentorship. And so the space that you fill is so vital for, you know, the future of, you know, people of faith in, in our world. And so Kimberly, have you found that in, in stories to be true? Is that the niche that you're, you're fitting in of just finding those people who have such a heart for this and then just giving them almost the breath that they need to take that next step? Absolutely. So we platform particularly women and people of color. And if you look at the data and statistics that are out there, these are the communities that have the least access to resources, to mentors, to people, to experiences, even with the rising increase of opportunities that we do see emerging for women and people of color, it's that disparity and access still exists. And And speaking for myself in particular as a Black woman, they are tied to their faith in particular, and they are motivated by their faith in particular to to do good in the world. And Black women in particular are launching so many small businesses, but still receive less than 1% of funding. So Matt, what you're talking about when you mention the startup capital and all of that, it's not even an option, really, if you look at the data for a person like myself. And even going beyond that, you look at family. When you're starting a business, a lot of investors look for that first round of funding that you raise yourself. And typically it comes from family and friends. Well, there's a disparity again in the wealth of households of people of color and of white individuals. So it's hard to even access that initial funding to show investors in the way that investors want to see that you can have these funds. And so what we hope to do through Do Good X is to really provide a space that disrupts that kind of pattern that we see existing and provide the business knowledge, provide a space where people can come with their faith in their whole selves, because a lot of business, most business spaces, they have to leave their faith at the door and give them access to mentors and resources to really move them along on their way because we're working at the early stage and it can be very discouraging to see that one in 10 businesses succeeds, you know, the rest fell. And so we want to give a community and resources that helps people feel encouraged through this hard stage of entrepreneurship um, in its early stages. And so, yes, that is what I see happening uh, with the entrepreneurs that we work with in particular. Well, now, Stephen, the other side of this is that this isn't a Bible study. This is rooted in deep understanding of disruption of business model. Kimberly, earlier, you mentioned the idea of a minimum viable product. You're not just making this up out of air. You know, I mean, it's not like, oh, we'll take one proof text, one Bible verse, and now make it our project. It's like, wait a minute, this is steeped deeply in beautiful, wonderful understanding of how you start up a process. So again, that evolution is that entrepreneurship isn't bad. Social entrepreneurship isn't bad. Christian innovation is built on that. And so I, as you kind of 
could maybe think about what as you create these incubators and these opportunities. You know, it was fascinating to see the presentations. They're doing a full-on pitch deck. <laughs> like, so even if the capital isn't there, I think all of us need to be listening to these pitches and going, wow, I can believe in this. There's proof in concept here. There is real technology and methodology behind how we're going to make sure that this can be sustainable. And I think you outline in your book, you know, the idea of observation and prototyping, you know, I mean, but this is more of kind of the story of it, but you kind of have a, a way in which you work people through the, the incubator as well. Would you like to maybe share a little bit on kind of the methodology even? Part of what we're trying to do is democratize the access to business knowledge. And to do that is not to simply do proof texting of scripture. So this is not a Bible study. This is not worship. This is not a prayer service. There's none of that. And, and that's not to say any, there's anything wrong with those things at the appropriate time and appropriate place. But that's not what this is. This is really, you know, a kind of bona fide accelerator that's trying to bring business knowledge to the work. Now, if you want to think theologically about what's going on as a result of that, that's the second pass. But the first pass is to get the kind of method and the series of ideas that you need, the stuff of organizations, the stuff of entrepreneurship that one really needs to do in that regards. And so we walk them through a process of really helping them to think about what is the problem that you are trying to solve? And who beyond yourself thinks it's a real problem? Too often we create solutions to problems that only we care about. But if you're going to be engaged in business, you got to create problems to solutions that a critical mass of people care about and may be interested in actually paying in order to have that solution resolved. So we start there and then Part of this is also in an effort to not just kind of navel gaze. So it's not just going out and finding any problem and finding, you know, all the problems that you could possibly come up with. It's also thinking about what's your vested interest in that problem? Why do you care about that problem? And then from there, we start to think about then how then you start to actually think about, well, who are the customers that, are, that care about this? What are the existing kinds of concerns? What are they doing now? And all that thing like customer discovery and customer interviews and all those types of things or whatever. And then we try to help people to understand the larger systems by wh where their problem is seated. So we really try to give people a systems analysis because I think too often, you know, we're creating these kind of solutions to problems that are kind of novel. And, you know, we can just kind of, create something and make a quick buck. But if you're really interested in trying to alleviate a social problem, to Kimley's point, for the purposes of improving the welfare of communities, the welfare of the environment, and the welfare of, of individuals, you need to understand the larger systems by which people's lives are trafficked in. And what that means then thinking about systemically what is this problem risk? Is it, is it a problem that is upstream, maybe within policies and laws, or is it more downstream in terms of more B2C? You know, it's something that you're doing at the retail business consumer context. What are the things that are inhibitors to them accessing the solution in that regards? And that may get into economics, or it may get into an educational piece, or it may 
you know, be some other type of social awareness components. But we try to help people situate where their problem sits within larger systems. And then from there, we then go about, okay, once you have an understanding of that, what could you do? What might you need to pivot with the idea that you brought into this situation? And then we start to help them bring the other type of business knowledge and sensibilities to actually creating a prototype and something that they can actually test with a critical mass of folks to see if there's any there there in that particular solution. We walk people through the development of a social good footprint. And so this is where they're really looking at how they will leave a positive legacy on the communities and or on the environment, depending on what their business focuses on. And so the social good footprint is built upon two major things. One, the foundational values and principles that they're operating out of as it relates to their faith. And this will really help them to have some parameters and framework for how they build, how they staff, how they launch and develop their particular business to reflect that they are operating out of these faith-rooted values, but also doing the good that God has called us to do. The other element is their invisible capital. This was coined by Chris Rapp, who is a state representative, uh, social activist, among other things, in his book based on invisible capital. And so for women and people of color in particular, sometimes we come to the table not thinking that we have much that we're coming to the table with. We walk them through the invisible capital, the assets that we have that people don't necessarily see visibly, but that can really help them and that they can leverage to launch and further build their businesses. And then they can also see some asset mapping of what they need access to, and they can leverage the community that we have created for them and others that we are connected to, to see how they can then access that capital. And then the last piece I'll say, just in general, with all that they develop, what's important for these businesses is that they have a way to measure their impact. They have a way to measure that they're actually doing good. If you're doing social entrepreneurship and you claim to be doing good, you are not doing good if you can't measure that and show that and communicate that to people so that they can have something tangible and concrete to see that you're affecting people's lives in a positive way. I love that. Well, I hope that we've accomplished at least the first step in your book, which is curiosity. <laughs> I mean, like, hopefully people are saying like, what the heck? This is amazing. What I would also say is I'd love to maybe come back November again and make a public invitation, if that's okay, to anyone to come and see the projects, the pitch decks, to really encourage people. This might not be their thing, but they can find out through curiosity what is going on. And that curiosity, I think, I love the way you said it in the book, at least, that it invites diversity. It's obviously not the way I think. It's not the way I look. It's not the way you mean like that's beautiful. And I think kind of going full circle in the conversation, how did this all get started that Matt asked? It's because I think we were all kind of curious at the same time. And again, it might not have been our own curiosity. It might have been whatever that movement is, you know, that power and energy that brought us together. And I hope that people who are listening today might join us on that journey. So thank you so much, Stephen and Kimberly. I so appreciate just this conversation, your friendship and the beautiful work that you do. 
Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining the show today. For those of you who want to connect with GoodX, you can just go directly to their website, which is dogoodx.org. Of course, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, social media. You can connect in all the ways that you usually connect. And I'll link that all up in the show notes. Again, if anybody's interested in applying, you can do that right through the website as well. So special thanks to you guys as well. Thanks for taking the time. But more importantly, thank you for the incredibly good work that you guys are doing, that you both are doing to continue this conversation, continue to to give people opportunities because we are in this space in history where we're in the midst of some sort of change. As Spencer mentioned earlier, I'm not so sure that we can put a label on it or have a complete understanding of what it is, but it's obvious that the work that you're doing is a part of that. So thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you again, Matt. And thank you, Spencer, for the invitation and for the stories that you're sharing on Solarized Files. So we appreciate you and your work as well. Yes. Thank you, Matt and Spencer. It's been great to be with you and uh, good work that you're doing through Solarize. So thank you. Make sure you support the Solarize podcast by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating and write a review.